0: Support for WABE comes from the Community Foundation for Greater Atlanta. If you love Atlanta, you can invest in the big picture.
1: Learn more at cfgreateratlanta.org. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Line takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Line wherever you get your podcasts.
0: From WABE in Atlanta, this is Closer Look. I'm Rose Scott. Coming up on today's program... The city of East Point, yeah, just about ten miles south of downtown Atlanta. Now, five years ago, then newly elected mayor Dina Holiday Ingram told me the city was on the cusp of an economic development boom.
2: You have to get people who are committed to not just building buildings, but building communities. So it's okay to build a building, it's okay to make money, but are you also do you also care about the community and that you're building, and and are you trying to make sure that what you build? has a positive impact on that community.
0: Now, like many U.S. cities, well, affordable housing and public safety top the list of concerns and are the catalyst for new initiatives. Mayor Ingram will join me in the studio just a moment to talk about this year's priority for East Point. Also, the group Moms Demand Action was formed after the 2012 Sandy Hook mass killings. Founder Shannon Watts talks about the group's continuing mission and why she's now stepping down. Important community conversations coming up, but first this. Georgia Governor Brian Kemp has declared a state of an emergency after recent violence at the site for Atlanta's proposed police training facility. We'll hear more from Emily Wu Pearson.
1: Kemp's declaration allows him to call up to 1,000 National Guard troops to control protests. This comes after demonstrations in downtown Atlanta turned violent over the weekend regarding the police killing of an activist in the forest. The Georgia Bureau of Investigation says officers shot and killed the protester in an exchange of gunfire where a state trooper was first shot and injured. Some demonstrators set fire to an Atlanta police vehicle and vandalized the Atlanta Police Foundation's headquarters. They continue to call for an independent investigation, as GBI claims there is no body camera footage of the actual shooting. Emily Wu Pearson, WABE News.
0: And Closer Look reached out to Atlanta Mayor Andre Dickens for comment. A spokesperson says the mayor is monitoring the situation and calls for peaceful reactions. and went on to say the city would provide any updates as appropriate. In other news, Georgia U.S. Congresswoman Democrat Lisa McBath is again calling for stronger gun regulations after more high-profile mass shootings in the country. She spoke on the House floor this week.
1: It cannot get any clearer. Without easy access to unregulated firearms, these
0: mass murders do not happen. These families do not grieve, and this country does not live in fear. McBath has pushed for increased gun control since being elected and serves as the vice chair of the House Gun Violence Prevention Task Force. And back in 2012, the congresswoman lost her 17-year-old son, Jordan, to gun violence. More Georgians than ever before signed up for health insurance on the Affordable Care Act marketplace during the recent sign-up period, as we hear from
3: Jess Mador. Open enrollment ran from November to January 15th. During that time, HealthCare.gov data show almost 900,000 Georgians chose a plan. This number represents a big jump over last year's HealthCare.gov signups of more than 701,000. And that was a double-digit increase over the year before. Health insurance enrollment is also up nationwide. The Biden administration reports a record more than 16 million people signed up for a plan. This includes almost 4 million people who are signing up through the Affordable Care Act marketplace for the first time. The administration is also touting this open enrollment period's new discounts and subsidies as reasons for the increase. Jess Mador, WABE News. Georgia
0: Democrats are getting more time from the National Party to move up their 2024 presidential primary. The DNC wants Georgia to vote fourth on February 20th. WABE Politics reporter Sam Greenglass has that story. Georgia, along with New Hampshire, will now have until June 3rd to lock down the new dates. The other early states, Michigan, South Carolina, and Nevada, are already set to go. The DNC's Mignon Moore says the party is still committed to the calendar proposed by President Biden. In Georgia,
2: we're making progress in what we understood would be a longer process.
0: We've seen a significant amount of interest in the state, and we expect that to grow. Georgia Democrats wrote to party leaders asking for an extension. They need buy-in from Georgia's Republican Secretary of State. But he says he won't hold the party primaries on different days, and the RNC's early state lineup doesn't include Georgia.
1: Sam Greenglass, WABE News.
0: Finally, a majority of Georgians now support legalizing medical and recreational marijuana. That's according to a new survey by the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Susanna Capaluto tells us. 53% of Georgians surveyed said the state should legalize marijuana for both medical and recreational use. That's up from 46% in a similar AJC
3: poll six years ago. Another 27% would like to see only medical marijuana use. 7% of respondents said pot should not be legal at all. The poll comes in a week when the state agency tasked with regulating medical cannabis oil finally approved regulation to make and sell it here. Patients have been waiting since 2015. That's when lawmakers first legalized medical marijuana for seizures, cancer and other conditions. But until now,
0: there was no system for producing and selling the oil. Susanna Capoluto, WABE News. And that report from longtime WABE editor and reporter Susanna Capoluto, I've known Susanna since my early days in public media decades ago when I had no idea what I was doing. And now Susanna starts a new chapter as NPR Southern Bureau chief. She has been a staple for so many of us upcoming journalists in this region. She's helped with editing. She's helped with conceptualizing ideas from beginning to end. She's been a great editor. She also likes bees. I don't quite figure that out, but she loves bees. But from everyone here at Closer Look, we say thank you for the many, many years here at WABE. Susanna starts a new chapter as NPR Southern Bureau Chief. Susanna, best of luck to you. Don't be a stranger. You'll still live in town, so we can come visit those bees. This is Closer Look, back in a moment Support for WABE comes from Capital Good Fund. Introducing Georgia Bright Solar Lease Program, a new rooftop solar initiative designed to create pathways to equitable and inclusive solar, sustainability, and monthly savings for Georgians. Learn more at georgiabright.org. And Closer Look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Five years ago, our Closer Look team spent an afternoon in the city of East Point looking for ice cream and a barbecue. No, it's not. Even the city, located about 10 miles south of downtown Atlanta, had become a popular area for the film industry. They were building a new government center. It was under construction. And also, like much many other cities in the U.S. at this time, East Point was grappling with attracting, attracting a lot of economic development projects, but also wanted to make sure it wouldn't lead to displacement or fuel increases in housing options. Now, here's what then newly elected Mayor Dina Holiday Ingram told me.
2: If we talk about the B word, blight, I say from blight to bright, but I look at everything as an opportunity. So when we look at these opportunities, redevelopment opportunities in the city, I think that's a more positive way to frame what cities across this nation are experiencing because, you know, we... If you put the B word on it, people looking like, oh, that's kind of negative. But this is an opportunity. This is a redevelopment opportunity for someone who's interested in this type of property or this type of building or this type of um, structure. So, we really like to focus on redevelopment. Um, you have to get people who are committed to not just building buildings, but building communities. So, it's okay to build a building. It's okay to make money, but are you also do you also care about the community and that you're building? And and are you trying to make sure that what you build has a positive impact on that community. And so I I encourage people to buy. Ownership is key. They're like, mayor, I need about two to three years. and two to three years, it's probably not going to be here.
0: Wow. That was from Closer Look's three-part series, redeveloping and rebranding the city of East Point. Now, as we begin 2023, Closer Look is checking in with local mayors to discuss their top priorities for the new year. So... Who else to start with in the city of East Point? And we welcome in studio Mayor Dina Holiday Ingram. Good to see you. Good to see you, too, Rose. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Took you back, didn't I? You know, I had all that, did you? <laughs> look, shocking, all right. I was like, ah, oh, that's me. <laughs> <laughs> um, how would you describe East Point now, five years later? You know, you're, you're another term now. Is it still too late for folks to get in on the great deals if you are a resident? Well, in terms of housing,
2: in terms of housing. So we are definitely seeing a lot of infield development. We're seeing um, a lot of investment into our blighted properties and people renovating those or even demolishing and rebuilding. So we're experiencing that. So it's not too late. But we're still looking for people who want to build community as well as build buildings. And we have a diverse housing stock in the city of East Point. We literally have housing that anyone can afford, regardless of income level.
0: Now, you took us around. We were in your East Point vehicle. I don't even know if y'all had insurance then. No, we didn't. <laughs> of course. Uh, of course you <laughs> did. You took us around. We went through all the neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And we saw some neighborhoods that you you said, this is this is prime. This is what we want people to invest in. And you mm-hmm. just said you want folks to develop Build community. Yes. what does that look like? What does building community look like for the city of East Point? So it looks
2: like looking at the demographics of our city and the opportunities and creating opportunities for people who live in East Point or around the area who may want to come in and not just trying to attract people to come from other places at higher income levels only, right? And so we have housing in our city, sustainable, affordable housing, low, moderate, middle, high income. And so coming in to build housing, in a community that doesn't involuntarily displace people in the community, but provides benefit. You as feel well. like you
0: have that because developers are, look, they develop to make money. They do. And some will say, listen, if you want us to come in and offer maybe 15 percent, some say 15 percent in terms of housing. That's, you know, that helps. our That does not help our, our bottom line. Correct. But if you have existing stock is what you're talking about. Yes. Existing stock. But do you have all those other programs that go with that first time? Home buy,
2: first time home buy. Maybe some
0: folks just want to rent.
2: So I, me and my family rented for five years before we built a home in East Point. Right. So rental is a path to home ownership. Some people choose to rent because they just don't want the headache of home ownership. So mm-hmm. we want to make sure we continue to have rental and home opp- home ownership opportunities within the city. And to make sure, again, that it is for people at all income levels. And so what does that look like? So, yes, we have people who are rehabbing existing housing stock, but also new development coming in mm-hmm. and ensuring that we have housing affordability, right? That we're building in a way that doesn't have a 10 percent afforda- affordable, 90 percent market. That's an 80 percent gap that never closes. Mm-hmm. It gets wider. And before you know it, it's 100 percent market, and people have been involuntarily displaced and pushed out of the city. So let's offer housing and different types of housing and development in our downtown area for people at different income levels. Do you have that? Yes. So let's do it. Yes. Do you have so it? we have Aya Tower that is being constructed now. It's a East Point Housing Authority property mm-hmm. on Conley Street, right in the heart of downtown of East Point, about 80, just under 90 units. That will be built there for AMI, I believe, like 60 to 70 percent, right? And so then we have another development called the East Point Exchange, which is right behind the MARTA station Mm -hmm. in downtown East Point. Buggy Works, Wagon Works. One of those buildings will be market rate housing, about 100 units. But then the workforce development housing should break ground this quarter which will have housing for people making between forty-seven to 60000 in the heart of our downtown. Okay. Then we'll also have our Commons Project, which is a pro- public-private partnership between the city and a developer to build a mixed-use development right across the street from City Hall, which will have affordable, housing affordability in it as well.
0: When you are in talks, when the city, when y'all are in talks with developers that want to come in, whether it's a tech uh, do you feel like you have enough incentive to to keep them there? We talked about Microsoft. We're going to get to that in a moment because you, you should know. We're going to get to that. But do you have enough to <laughs> – why are you laughing? You don't want to talk about it. it? Hey, we're good. We're better now. We're going to see. Okay. Do you have enough to offer them? Yeah. Because there's always an issue of cities, city governments giving too much to developers and incentives. Right. And there's a whole list. And I know Atlanta is different from East Point. So mm-hmm. we go down a whole list of, quote, failed or, you know. Some that work, but as Larissa have you all been able to 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 have that balance? Yes. Giving everybody what they want, the developer, the community, the city.
2: It requires demanding a balance and not accepting no, right? Um so, yes, we have incentives. We have a building industrial development authority. We have a downtown development authority, which are able to offer bond financing opportunities. We are a full service city, so we actually have own our own water. We sell water. We can provide infrastructure um, incentives. We also have electric. We have an electric power company. right? So there are ways that we can help bring down the cost of development to be able to help make it more um, affordable.
0: Let's talk about them because you said you're able to offer your own infrastructure now. You know, we talk about the water and the electricity
3: mm-hmm. and
0: folks get some. I, I see the eyebrows right now going up <laughs> in East Point. That's right. Talk about it, Rose. So let's talk about yes. the, let's talk about the I electricity.
2: Can
0: hear too. <laughs> How. So let's just explain this because you've tried to and, and folks before you've tried to. Why does East Point have this unique power company selection <laughs> structure? I'm trying to put this in the right way. Oh, <laughs> uh, how did that happen? So my
2: forefather, there are our forefathers in the city of East Point um, decided that we would be a part of the Municipal Electric Authority of Georgia, which is made up of 49, 48 other communities um, across the state, to right. have our own power company. Mm-hmm. And it's a public pr- power company, which means we don't really operate at profit. We get power at wholesale cost of power. But there are a number of additional um, capital maintenance costs that goes along with that. Mm-hmm. And so... Because we inherited such a great enterprise, right, we then have to deal with making sure everybody knows, like, if you have a small business, you don't want to dip into your house funds, your personal money to take care of the business. Mm-hmm. And so in operating this electric enterprise fund, it requires us to make sure that our rates are competitive, but also that they cover the cost.
0: So residents have no choice. choice. No. They they have to go with these. but. Companies, because Microsoft cut a deal with Georgia, Power. that's the best way I could put it, and, it yeah. and you correct me if I'm wrong, cut a deal with Georgia Power. How is it that a big corporation gets to choose their vendor, but, you know,
2: the Susie city. and
0: John don't?
2: Correct. So there is a power grid. Just imagine this grid and portion of it is assigned to East Point and portions are assigned to um, Georgia Power or other companies. And then there's what's called choice lows. Mm-hmm. So if you are you need over, say, 200 megawatts of power, you have the choice to choose which provider you will use. So we know
0: a company like Microsoft right. would use. But is that fair, you think? Because some would say, but East Point prices are high, and I want to go to Georgia Power. And I'm not lobbying for Georgia Power. Don't send me an email. I get I'm it. just saying. Yeah. So our prices are competitive, and our
2: energy is actually the cleanest in the state. We are 94% non CO2 emitting as of 2021. And 2020, we were 99%. -hmm. Right. And so when people are thinking about power and the future of power, I think we're very competitive. On an East Point bill, and I've had this happen time and time again, people will pull an East Point electric bill and compare it to a Georgia Power bill. Right. But on an East Point, Electric bill—it's a utility bill, so also your water mm-hmm. is there, your sanitation is there. So it's not just electric on a bill. So it is it all in bundled? It's four and one, so it's itemized. Okay, but that one bill, you'd have to go get your Georgia Power bill, your water bill, like your
0: other bills, and add those together. So power, water, sanitation, sanitation, storm water, storm water—all that is is. Has that been problematic, though, you think? Or do you think that is a model that works best for your city?
2: I think it's a model that works best for our city as a full-service small city. So, mm-hmm. you know, we own these enterprises. We're not interested in selling them off. And so if we're going to do billing, it is, you know, mm-hmm. um, combined billing. But I think that adds to the misconception of how absorbent our bills are because I think people are comparing four bills to one bill.
0: So they, because they see power and they're, okay, so you're saying it's not just your, because so I get emails that say, Rose, my electric bill is high. Right. So you're saying, but it includes all of those utilities. Right.
2: So is it the electric portion of your utility bill that's high, or is it your total bill that you're talking about and how much of that is electric?
0: Are you and Microsoft are y'all friends now? Because you all, <laughs> could, could you all have handled the demand that they said they needed for power?
2: Yes. Um, Through our Municipal Electric Authority of Georgia, we have the full weight of that system, right? And they
0: still didn't buy it? No,
2: but we will um, get a franchise fee that will also provide us a level of compensation for what happens there. The, the challenge with the whole Microsoft situation was that the way it came about mm-hmm. and the way it was being implemented initially— The community was not at the table. I wasn't at the table. Mm -hmm. And there were a lot of things that we'll just assume goodwill that they weren't aware of, right? I know, Rose, I see. I'm saying the same thing too. But I'm trying to I'm trying to be here and assume goodwill. So let's let's just I'm not
0: trying to be you know, an instigator. I'm just trying to understand. Because then my next question is, you wanna have a good relationship, obviously. This is a huge big deal for for east point so you want to have a good relationship now how many jobs uh, do you think will come out of this for folks do you- so they're saying
2: around 30 to 50 it's not a lot of jobs it's a data center right mm-hmm. um do you think
0: they're getting a, in your incentives are they getting too much based on what
2: well they got a lot from the state and the county that we weren't a part of so this whole deal was incentivized outside of east point
0: Someone right now pulled over and said, "What?"
2: Correct. So we were. By the time I found out about it, it was there's a press release going out that Microsoft is coming to East Point. So we were not a part of those conversations around incentives, which is why our power was not on the table at the time that the deal was made.
0: I don't think that would have happened in the city of Atlanta. I know
2: it wouldn't have happened in the city of Atlanta. In fact, we've sent I sent two emails to the CEO of Microsoft. Initially saying you, t- you say you, you're about um, racial justice and want to use your supply chain for societal good and all of these things, and communities of color. How is it that we didn't get a bid for power?
0: Did you get a response? Not from him, mm-hmm. but
2: the person who had told me absolutely no, then said, we'll let you submit a bid. Right. Um, we ended up sending another I sent another letter to the CEO with the bid and um have not heard from him but have talked with others within microsoft senior senior leadership mm-hmm. and i do feel like we're at a much better Partnership or relationship perspective, but what I have unequivocally said to them that it must be a win win, right? The substation can't go across the street from people's houses. Mm -hmm. When you have 138 acres, I'm sure you have other choices that you can make in other locations for this. So it's not accepting no, but also helping them understand the impact on the community And they have shareholders. I have my my supervisors are the residents. Mm -hmm. Right. Those are the people that hold me accountable and expect me to show up and fight for them. And so that's what we've been doing.
0: What's the lesson learned here, you think, for you in the city moving forward with economic development projects like this? So
2: I've already said to Fulton County Development Authority chair, like, look, we have to figure out a way when you're entertaining deals that are coming into the city of East Point. We need to be aware of them and we need to be at the table. A lot of times there's concern about NDAs and I'm like, we'll sign whatever. Mm -hmm. But we need to make sure that we are being informed of these types of deals when they come in, because then we have to deal with it. Whether when that building gets built, it has to go through East Point local permitting and planning mm-hmm. department, right? It has to go through all of our local ordinances and processes. Does
0: not also affect your infrastructure from a transit? Oh, yeah. Because I want to move to transportation. And again, you know, you're all a part of this regional transportation plan. And I feel like every year everyone has a plan. Right now, MARTA is getting grilled by the city of Atlanta about these projects that have not happened. And look, it's been six years. Plus, for East Point, in terms of transit and mobility, you are all kind of waiting because you have to wait and see where everybody else does before you can fit, where you see where you fit in, right? Well,
2: in the South, we have to wait to see what everybody else does as we see a lot of money at, at white and see what everybody else is doing as we see a lot of money go north, right? And in the cities in Fulton County, through local option sales act, we literally North and South Fulton have come together. We're stronger together. We understand that. Mm-hmm. Things just happen differently, right? Mm -hmm. And so people will tell us we need a study and they've received money. Now, whether or not they had a study or whether the study was already done, like, it, sometimes it feels like we're chasing a moving target. But we've been talking regionally about how to get ahead of that, right, mm-hmm. and how to make sure that we're, those things that we can collaborate and, and work together and partner on intentionally, we do that. I was just at a board retreat for the Aerotropolis Atlanta Alliance today. So mm-hmm. we're talking about, and that's all the cities in South Fulton, some in Clayton, as well as corporations within the Aerotropolis area.
0: As long as I've been covering all of this, and I have heard that Fulton County, through some, the perception is of the haves and the have-nots for the counties. Now, you can throw in all these other optics in terms of tax base and things of that nature. You're trying to work within that. And then when we talk about South Fulton County, that's a whole other uh, segment. But you look at College Park, has some unique circumstances. You know, obviously the new city down there, South Fulton, uh, you know, East Point. Hapeville seems to be like, you know what, we good. I don't really hear a whole lot about Hapeville. They just kinda, you know, they're like, eh, Well, hateville, okay.
2: hateville, has been working a plan for probably I've been here twelve and a half years yeah. and we're seeing that come to fruition, yeah. right? So people are like, There's a lot of development happening in Hateville. I've been here twelve and a half years. I'm not sure when some people have just come maybe a year or so and it looks like it happens just that quick. I have mm-hmm. a great relationship with Mayor Hallman. They had hey, a plan. Hey,
0: and let's as and a say, Hapeville hey, has on, on a come up. I was down yeah. there and I love that little downtown area. And of course, you know, when a craft brewery props up, <laughs> hey, it's all good. We got one of these points, too. Where? It's um,
2: called Culture South. They're actually moving their headquarters. It's in development, but it will be right maybe a block away from the Marta Station in downtown.
0: Access to food mm-hmm. and quality food and affordable ho- food. You and I have talked about this in terms of what's available for residents. Do you have your major grocery store? Because five years ago you didn't. Major. Don't <laughs> no, don't email no. me about the Piggly Wiggly. No offense <laughs> against the Piggly Wiggly. I'm just saying. So look, we ha so do we
2: have a major grocery store in downtown? No, but we have Walmart on Cleveland Avenue. We have Wayfield on Headland and Delow. Um, and but you, then, want,
0: you told me then you wanted more options.
2: We do want more options. So we have Leafy Green Market that's actually in the heart of downtown mm-hmm. East Point. It's a small um, woman-owned, black woman, female-owned grocery in mm-hmm. downtown East Point now on Church Street that also provides some vegan options and has vegan chefs there for mm-hmm. it. So there are things that are coming. We have Market 166, which is a co-op that's still working to bring food options into our city as well.
0: Before I let you go, because I want to go back to this because I receive emails all the time and I had a, received an email from someone who said they was a resident and they thought that maybe you are moving slow as it relates to some economic development. And also, too, with with housing and ordinances. And listen, we can talk all day about single family zoning and all this. How would you assist? Do you need to have improvements as it relates to development and specific neighborhoods? Because. The way I perceived the email was that this person lived in a a neighborhood that probably could be welcoming to all this new economic development and for new businesses, but that may not be the case for other neighborhoods, which are still just trying to get that equal footing. You know what I mean? Am I making
2: sense? Yeah, you are. But East one is a little under fifteen square miles, right? And so the area, the neighborhoods don't really have within their neighborhoods opportunity. In per se, the neighborhood for commercial or mixed use, right? A lot of this is going to happen in our downtown area, which is near a lot of our neighborhoods. Mm-hmm. And so, again, in that area, we have development that is underway, but it doesn't happen overnight, right? Mm-hmm. East Point Exchange, the Workforce Development Housing with um, Thompson Curry Commons Mark the Commons Project. There is a lot happening in our downtown <laughs> that you will see over the next three years, right? Mm-hmm. Is it too slow? Well, if people are coming with the ex- expectation that they say they want a development today and it happens tomorrow, mm-hmm. then maybe that's too slow. But that's not how development works.
0: Let's also talk about then public safety, mm-hmm. which obviously is another issue. And then and I want to get to healthcare before we let you go. Every city, major city, from what we know of, and, and obviously we can look pat, look to these past few weeks out in California. Mass shootings. We're going to talk about that in a moment in our next segment and, and, how, and what to do with gun violence and public safety. You all have had uh, obviously grappling with that. Do you need more officers? What is missing or what, what, what are your challenges there? So I think the challenge
2: around there is no formula or silver bullet for safety. If there were a formula that ensured that nobody ever committed a crime, every city across the country would have that in place, right? Com- safety is a team effort, right? It's, it takes working together. We have hired 36 new officers in the city of East Point. Mm-hmm. They are in the academy. We increased our starting salary. So there's 52000 before they go. When they get out of the academy, it goes up to 55000 mm-hmm. right? We make sure that all of our uh, – we have the equipment that they need and necessary. We have um, made sure that they have the outer carrier bulletproof vests mm-hmm. to that's easier for them they all have body cameras they have laptops so we have the equipment and we also have technology mm-hmm. so we're getting f- fuses so to be able to get video surveillance from businesses before we get there when incidents happen
0: so are you able to track and keep data in terms of for some particular crimes which mm-hmm. may be as some say crimes out of other issues, poverty, or, or homelessness, or, or some other issue. And if you want to add in, you know, mental health concerns, and then then we get into your hospital, but which you don't <laughs> have anymore. But it's all these <laughs> tentacles tied to it. I mean, you laugh, but it's all yeah, tied No, I, I,
2: I'm I'm laughing. The yes, yes, because I, I, you're true. It's true. It's true. Um, so look, I, last year from 21. To 22, if we look at our crime data, we had a 31% decrease in rapes, 21% decrease in robbery, aggravated assaults went down 8%, and simple assaults down 42%. Mm-hmm. We hired a crime analyst to really make sure the accuracy of our data, right? Okay. But I will acknowledge, from in 21, we had eight homicides. In 2022, we had 28 homicides. Of those 28, that's a 250% increase. Only two were stranger to stranger. Mm-hmm. And all but five happened in a person's home house, like um hotel rooms, like places where they knew people, right? Recording studios. We've solved twenty one out of those twenty eight, so we have a seventy five percent clearance rate. And um we're close to filing charges on the others. So it is not one one homicide, one victim is one too many. Mm-hmm. But when we look at the data and where how it's happening, where it's happening, you know, also the open carry, Why Why West came out last year. Right, where people can just get guns freely, okay. um and you think so that's a factor I do think it's a factor um you know when you have when it's easier to access a gun than to try to resolve a conflict through you know nonviolent ways, mm-hmm. people make the bad decisions in split second in split seconds, and then we're left dealing with mm-hmm. trying to figure out on the back end
0: and what about as it relates to health and wellness and with facilities and and what you all have which yeah so we actually can y'all bring a a high-level trauma hospital center there
2: well it wasn't a high-level trauma center right the the high-level trauma center was the location on boulevard in atlanta what we had was an er and a hospital with about 302 rooms we i believe and we i'm working with others around trying to ensure that we bring er and some level of hospitalization back to that site. Can
0: you do that? Because yes. there were talks that it, that your charter allowed you or you could form a, a, a uh, hospital authority. Uh, I looked into it. I couldn't really find the information I needed on that. But is that true? So the
2: hospital authority is not the answer. So $15 million that anyone doing work Seriously in this area to try to deal with ensuring that we have accessible, affordable, high quality, comprehensive health care for our community knows 15 million dollars is going nowhere. Mm -hmm. Right. That's not even a month. Um, We also know that housing, a hospital authority is not a mechanism to raise money. Right, we also know that, that it provides. You say it's more
0: of governance.
2: It's governance and also an opportunity to provide you know some level of bond financing for mm-hmm. a facility, but we have a facility, so we don't need that. Okay, Um and there is no funding for hospital operations. Right, so when you look at the Fulton DeKalb Hospital Authority, the Fulton County and DeKalb County together contribute about a hundred million dollars. Into that authority, about sixty something from Fulton and thirty something from the cab. Then they get fees for services, right? Mm-hmm. If it were that simple, we would not have have had six hospitals closed across the state of Georgia within a four year period. There's no silver bullet, and it's not the hospital authority alone. And I don't know that that's needed. What's needed is a a, a responsible hospital operator. Right. Who wants to come in, understands the dynamics of the community and can come up with a like strategy. A to be... well, though, well, I mean, Wellstar, it's Wellstar a health system. Has made a, I mean, it's they, a health I, system. I'm not saying them
0: because obviously they cut yeah, out, they've but,
2: made other choices. But, but you
0: need an entity like that. Is what you're saying. We need an
2: entity or a ER entity. Right. So
0: how do you go about trying to get that conversation even started? People are reaching out
2: okay. because people are aware of what's happening. And so and I also want people to understand that. ER and hospital, yes, they're needed in the community. They have a space. But there has to be a comprehensive model of care. People shouldn't be feeling like they can only get primary care at an ER. We need to connect more people to medical homes, primary care homes.
0: Is that a priority for this year?
2: Absolutely a priority for this year. I prioritize it on my agenda. I mean, on my calendar, have several meetings frequently with people about that. And I do believe we will... Fine. We will be a disruptor, right, mm-hmm. and and have a system that actually has care. I had a medical procedure in October and ended up having to go to the ER. I waited 10 hours to get an ER bed. Ten, count them. I got there at 1240. When I laid my head in the bed and looked at the clock, it was 10 p.m.
0: Well, and just imagine that for, some, for so many people, they so experience many many it other all people. the time. Correct. And it's nothing new. As we have these conversations, and then five years ago when you invited us down and we came down there and I asked you where you wanted East Point to be, okay, five years from now, where do you want East Point to represent? Maybe even, maybe it's not five years.
2: Yeah, so five years from now, the world will no East Point. Well, we will have been a key part of the experience for Walk World Cup twenty twenty six. We will have a place for people to gather, enjoy, stay within our downtown and we will continue to develop and create benefits for the people who live in our community to also be able to be a part of that. And so five years from now, we will be world known for um, being a place where there's no point like East Point and where the world meets, where the world comes to to connect and and to to enjoy.
0: East Point Mayor Dina Holiday Ingram, thank you so much for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Good to see you again. Good to see
2: you too, Rose. Thank you so much for the opportunity.
0: All right. You still didn't give me an update on the barbecue and ice cream, but that's okay.
2: I got you. I got you. <laughs>
0: Closer look continues from WABE in Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott. Already, just 27 days into the new year, there have been at least 40, what's considered 40 mass shootings here in the United States. And that's according to data compiled by Gun Violence Archive. The archive also reports more shootings so far in 2023 than at this point in any other year. In the last decade, Moms Demand Action is a nonprofit founded after the shooting massacre on December 14th, 2012, which included Sandy Hook Elementary School. Afterwards, there were calls for gun law reforms. And now, after more than a decade, Moms Demand Action is still advocating for what they say needs to be good, clear gun reform. And the founder. Shannon Watts is stepping down. You'll hear from Shannon in just a moment, but I'm also joined now by Laura Judge, the elections lead for Georgia Moms Demand Action. Welcome to you both.
1: Thank you.
3: Thank you.
0: Shannon, I want to start with you because I want to go back to the tragedy after the tragedy of Sandy Hook. We know that was the reason behind Moms Demand Action, but I want you to take our listeners briefly through that moment when you realized that that focus was going to be advocating for reforms.
3: I was a stay-at-home mom of five. I had taken a a five-year break from my career in communications, and it was a very cold day in Indiana. I was living in a suburb just outside of Indianapolis, and I was folding laundry, um, which is sort of a a full-time job when you have five kids, and I saw on my television set that was on in the background that there was breaking news, that there was uh, a shooter in an elementary school in Newtown, Connecticut. Mm -hmm. This is a place i'd never heard of and i'm sure like most or many americans that day i I sat down and just watched um really in disbelief that 20 children and six educators could be slaughtered in the sanctity of an american elementary school and i was devastated and i spent the day crying and then the next day i woke up and i was so angry Mm -hmm. you know that sadness had just turned into outrage And I thought, okay, I'm going to get off the sidelines on this issue. I I had never been an activist, but I I wanted to join something like Mothers Against Drunk Driving, which had been so influential to me um, Mm -hmm. in the 1980s as a teen. And I couldn't find anything. I found some one off think tanks run mostly by men, some city and state organizations, again, mostly run by men. And I wanted to be part of an army of women, which Mm -hmm. is what I have seen be so effective over and over again in this country. And I started a Facebook page just thinking we would have an online conversation about that. And it turned into the largest offline movement in mm-hmm. the country for grassroots activism.
0: And you all have chapters or affiliates in every state, correct?
3: Every single state. We now have 10 million supporters. We are twice as large as the NRA.
0: Wow. Laura, what brought you to want to be a part of? Moms Demand Action.
1: Well, also with Sandy Hook, my son had just been born. Um, he was about one years old, um, so he was in a daycare. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, any parent with children that young, um, pretty much any human being, to hear about those children getting shot, um, I, I I wanted to do something as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I felt stuck. Um as my children grown and moved into elementary school, and now now that child is in middle school, mm-hmm. um, I became more involved with his school district, um, hearing about things where kids are threatening the schools. Mm-hmm. And so I reached out to Moms Demand Action um, late December of uh, two years ago mm-hmm. um, to see what I could do and how I could help. Shannon, how do you gauge or,
0: I guess, measure the wins that you all have been a part of, if there have been some wins in terms of policy or mm-hmm. legislation?
3: Oh, there have been so many wins. You know, I'm a full-time volunteer myself. I wouldn't wake up and do this work you know, every single day as a volunteer if I didn't think we were winning. Um, we have passed hundreds of good gun bills. We have a 90 percent track record of stopping the nra every year uh, for the last seven years in state houses across the country we have elected so many gun sense champions you know when i started doing this work 10 years ago about a quarter of all democrats in congress had an a rating from the nra today none do that is a, a seismic shift in american politics and in fact This last summer, we passed the first federal legislation ever on this issue, Mm -hmm. and we had bipartisan support. So we had Republicans vote for um, that life saving legislation. In addition, uh, we have changed this issue culturally. We talk a lot to gun owners and parents about the importance of, of. securely storing their firearms locked, Mm -hmm. unloaded, and separate from ammunition. So the progress that has been made in just a a decade is truly astounding. I think because there are all these shootings in the news all the time, Mm -hmm. we lose sight of the fact that gun safety used to be a third rail in American politics. And now it is fully embraced by Democrats. And I think we see more and more Republicans um, joining our side of the issue all the time.
0: How do you navigate between the perception that maybe you all are anti-Second Amendment or that you're anti-gun ownership. And are you still continuing to fight that when you talk with perhaps on the Republican sides or or those who, who just want to make sure that, okay, you're not coming after me and my guns because I'm a responsible gun owner and all of that.
3: Yeah, you know, the NRA has gone after me for a decade, and that's always their claim that I'm somehow uh, anti-gun. I I grew up the granddaughter of two gun-owning World War II veterans who are avid hunters. Um, My dad was a gun owner. Uh, I come from a very conservative family. Many of our volunteers are gun owners or their partners are gun owners. There are 400 million guns in this country. We are simply wanting to restore the responsibilities that should go along with gun rights. And when you have conversations, again, with most Republicans, most gun owners, they agree that in order to have a gun, you should have a background check. Mm -hmm. You should have safety training. Domestic abusers should never have easy access to guns. Um, We want to keep guns out of the hands of people who shouldn't have them, including minors. Mm -hmm. It's really this very vocal minority of gun extremists who have held sway with our lawmakers for far too long and really been given a seat at the table when it comes to writing our nation's gun laws. So that is what we have to undo, mm-hmm. and and we have made a lot of progress in that.
0: Laura, whenever I ask someone to define for me what sensible gun legislation or gun reform legislation looks like, I'll get a different answer. So here in Georgia, through your lens and representing the organization here, do we
1: have an adequate number of quote sensible gun laws on the books i don't believe that we have an adequate number of sensible gun laws um as the elections lead here in georgia you know um our gun sense candidates we had about 33 state representatives eight state senators that just were elected this last uh election season Mm -hmm. and one of our representatives uh Representative uh, Dr. Michelle Mm Ao just dropped two bills that she would like to see more gun sense legislation. And so seeing some of our gun sense candidates join on as sponsors of that bill, um, I think we can start to head that way.
0: The mayor of East Point, who was just on before this segment, talked about through her lens, she felt that Georgia's new law, the permitless carry, was a problem. Mm-hmm. And, and she correlated that with the increase in gun violence. How do you see Georgia's permanent? I think I know, but I want to ask you. You can take it.
1: I, I feel the same way. Um, you know, the governor just had his state of the state, and he mentioned the increase in crime and the increase in gang violence, but he did not mention how guns attribute to that increase in crime. And because of the permitless carry, we see more of that crime increasing and we need to close those loopholes with permitless carry. Shannon, you are
0: stepping down now and, and one white might wonder wow, you, you all have a lot more to do. That's what you just told me a few moments ago. So why now is the time for you to to step down when there's still, as you put it, a lot more to do?
3: Well, I'm stepping back but that doesn't mean the work doesn't continue. I think founders have a finite role in organizations. And I have asked myself every year for the last 10 years, have I overstayed that welcome, right? Mm -hmm. Is it time for me to go? Um, I certainly helped create the space where people can gather, but it's the people in that space who matter much more uh, than, than my role. And, you know, the, the answer has never come back yes to me until this year when I was standing at the White House in the Rose Garden celebrating the passage of the Bipartisan Safer Communities Act. And it really felt like a bookend. You know, mm-hmm. When I started doing this work, Congress failed to pass legislation by just a handful of votes to finally 10 years later passing the first legislation in a generation at the federal level. And I will still be a Moms Man Action volunteer uh, from my state of California. But I think by stepping back, it it, it encourages and, and in some way forces other people to step forward with new energy and new ideas. Um, this organization is huge. It will last into perpetuity, uh, but but it needs to evolve and it needs to grow in order to stay healthy and productive. And, and, and part of that, I think, is for me um, to let other people bring that energy to the forefront.
0: Both of you have talked about that if you're talking about legislation, obviously you've got to have meetings of the minds, partnerships moving forward in addressing all of this. And everyone says the same thing. There is no one solution, but everyone uses this word holistic, takes a holistic approach to solve any issue. Uh, Laura, as we wrap up, I'll begin with you. Where, where's the weakness though, in these partnerships and holistic approach that you want to see, or you definitely believe needs to be strengthened?
1: Well, for me personally, um, I'm involved in a lot of organizations, so uh, not just Moms Demand Action. And so what I see is the coalition of those organizations. Mm -hmm. So I know the South Fulton mayor and Young Joe just had a town hall yesterday for the gun violence that happened nearby Mm -hmm. and putting down the guns. So I would like to reach out to them and have Moms Demand Action come in for that. You know, we have community partners as well, so we're working with um, domestic violence um, shelters and stuff like that. So um, we're working on that, and uh, we have a good team. And for the folks who
0: aren't hip, Young Dro is a hip-hop artist. He's a rapper. Yes. They're out there because some folks don't know. Uh, Shannon, I'll give you the last word. You think about the work that you've done all these years, and you'll get the same question Where is a a gap still in terms of having a coalition work toward finding some solutions?
3: I think no one person, no one organization can solve this issue. Having partners is incredibly important, in particular, uh, the black and brown women who have been doing this work for decades um, with very little to no media attention whatsoever, it is a priority of our organization to partner with those groups to lift up the work they're doing to help fund that work. We've unlocked hundreds of millions of dollars for community violence intervention programs that are doing such important hard work all across the country. So that is certainly a priority of our organization. And um, I would encourage anyone to to seek out their local organizations working on this issue as well and to make sure that they're they're funding that work that, that is life-saving.
0: Shannon, do you have a successor?
3: We have uh, so many successors, but one person I'm, I'm working particularly closely with in our organization is Angela Farrell Zabala. Uh, we hired her from Planned Parenthood about five years ago. Um, a black woman who sees this issue with a lens that is, is incredibly important. It does include partnerships and coalitions. She's been um, just an amazing movement builder mm-hmm. and um, so grateful that, that she is there to continue this work when I step back.
0: Shannon Watts, founder of Moms Demand Action, and I'm also joined in studio by Laura Judge from the state affiliate, the elections lead for Georgia Moms Demand Action. Thank you both for taking time. Shannon, best of luck to you in your next chapter. Thank you.
3: Thank you. Thank you.
0: And that's it for this edition. Closer Look is produced by LaShawn Hudson, Daniel Rezell, and Pat St. Clair. Tiffany Griffith is our supervising producer. Our engineer is Kevin Rinker. A reminder to let us know your thoughts on today's program or any other. Send me an email, rose at wabe.org. And, of course, you can listen to the entire program online, wabe.org slash closerlook. And, of course, catch the rebroadcast tonight at 7 p.m., as well as in our podcast. So subscribe to Closer Look wherever you like. Stay tuned to 90.1 W.A.B.E. from Atlanta. I'm Rose Scott.
3: Sounds Like ATL is a music documentary series that takes an in-depth look at the artists amplifying Atlanta's famed music community. Built around a desire to highlight Atlanta's diverse and world-renowned music scene, each episode features unforgettable, intimate musical performances by fresh new musical guests, each with exclusive interviews about the stories behind their music. Listen at WABE.org or wherever you find your podcasts.